challenge, and then we're going to pick one to do a giveaway every week. But next week's challenge is for you to throw out a favorite quote. Just a, it could be from a song, it could be from an author, maybe it's a verse in the Bible, but just a favorite quote, and make sure you hashtag it, watch your mouth, because that's how we search to find them, and then we pick one that we think is, is worthy of a winner. I know that's a little bit subjective, but that's the best it's going to get for you. So, right? And so put your favorite quote out there. And so I want to do a couple of giveaways. So I'm going to do a giveaway. I'm doing an iTunes gift card to Tyler Ashworth for his. He had an awesome story about his family. And a, was that you that you put that out? That was you? You guys share a Facebook page. It's very confusing. All right. So Jessica gets it. Jessica gets that. And then, and then I'm going to give away two that I just saw out there, and, and these weren't tagged with it, but they could have been. One is to Wayne Thomason and the story of the chalk paint. So for, uh, for, for, for not saying all the wrong things, right? All right, see, that would have been good. Nice. And then I'm giving one to Nick Hocannon for the story of the blown tires. There you go, right? Uh, did you guys see those out there? I love that Stephanie's uh, post was, it was a picture of Nick, and you couldn't see his head because he was inside of the tire wheel well of the car, and, uh, and it was something about uh, my second blown tire uh, th- this month, and, and Nick's question was, how does this happen, right? And, uh, and she said, well, I misjudged the curb, there was a dot, 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 and I was waving, Right? <laughs> and then somebody commented on that post, was that me you were waving at? Because after you waved at me when I rode by, I heard this terrible boom, and I didn't know what it was, but it must have been your tire. So, But Nick apparently exhibited immense self-control. I know. See? Because he's paying attention to this series. And then Wayne Thomason, I think there was some chalk paint that was spilled, and Denise had to wake him up to come help. And I don't know. You, you, see, I'm telling there's a lot of fun on Facebook if you're not on there. All right. And, you might, and, and your pastor might see something and give you a giveaway, or he might see something and give you a call. That happens sometimes, too. <laughs> that happens sometimes, too. All right, we like a little participation here at City Life. And so, so hey, hey, let me, before I get into this, can I just say, if you're not signed up for the men's getaway, you're missing out. And if your husband is here, I mean, if your husband is here and he's not signed up for the men's getaway, when you get home tonight, there should be a pillow and a blanket on your couch in your living room. And when your husband says, what's that for? Your response to him should be, this is where you're sleeping until you sign up for the men's getaway. I'm just saying, right? All right. I know the men are not happy with me now, but the women are, are feeling empowered. Are they not? Okay. All right. So crazy sayings, crazy sayings your parents said to you, you, you growing up. It, it might be a, a saying that was just said in your household a lot. And don't forget that we have children in the room, so you might have to, have to, to make it PG. But, but maybe some sayings that were said in your home. Maybe it was something that, that maybe it was a saying that was unique to your family. Maybe it was one of those things like, right, my mom always, you can't swim for 30 minutes after you eat, right? That is not true. I lost a lot of swim time because, right? So something like that, that you grew up hearing from your parents. You point, raise your hand over there back in the corner. Nothing good happens after dark. That's true. Somebody else. All the way in the back. Is that Scotty and Sabra? If you have candy before breakfast, you'll have a bad day. That is a lie. We just deliver you from that lie in Jesus' name right now, Sabra. Scotty. Let's not and say we did, David. If you swallow your gum, it'll be in your stomach for about seven years. Did I see it, Wendy? If you're pouting and you stick, stick your lip out, it might poop on you or, or land on you. 
Okay, right. I'm going to remember that one, Michelle. She could make burger better than McDonald's, and that's because she didn't want to take you there and spend the money. I know, I know. Let's not say we did. Doubling down on that one, Clem. I brought you into this world. I will take you out, Sally. Her mother said, if you roll your eyes, they'll get stuck that way. Okay, so I don't know what that was, but I hope it's not recorded because everybody that speaks Italian might go, I can't believe they said that in church, right? So it was something Italian. She thinks it was, it was bad. So right, we had all these things that our parents would say, right? When we were on road trips, I would hear my father say, don't make me pull this car over, right? Anybody ever hear that one? Yeah, and so another one that I heard all the time growing up was the title of the series was Watch Your Mouth. Anybody ever hear your parents say that? Watch your mouth. And I believe that there are certain verses in the Bible, and we're going to unpack one tonight, and I think this is going to get some more attention as we move through this series, that God says that same thing to us. He says to you, and he says to me, watch your mouth. First Peter 3.10 says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Now I want to read out of Psalm 34, 11 through 13, because as Peter was writing this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit, as many of the epistles and other writings in the New Testament, they reach back and they pull something from the Old Testament. Now I believe that everything in the Bible we need to pay attention to, but if it's in there more than once, then I think it should get a little extra attention from us. And here we have one that's in there twice. So Psalm 34, I'm going to read in verse 11. It says, Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord, which means a healthy respect for God. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? So when the psalmist gives us two different motivations, that's another sermon for another time, but this is about a life that's long and a life that's prosperous. And what does it say? Keep your lips from telling lies, turn away from evil, and do good. Peter says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. I believe that this is what we call, you hear me say it all the time, a fill-in-the-blank text, meaning that the back end of that, speaking evil and telling lies are the -the fill-in-the-blanks. There are lots of things that can come out of our mouth that are either going to contribute to the enjoyment of our life or detract from it, or contribute to the happiness of our future or detract from it. God is saying to you and he's saying to me, watch your mouth because your words matter. It's instructive to me that when the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1, it begins with the power of words. Now you think about all the ways that God could have focused the Bible early on. And right in the beginning, in the beginning of the book, in the beginning of time, in the beginning of humanity, God says to you, and he says to me, your words have power. God said is a phrase, those two words are eight times in the first six days in those verses. 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, and 26. Now God said is in there a couple of more times, but it's conversational, it's not creative. It's creative the 
Eight times in the six days. Now, I'm not saying that our words have the same power of God's, right? There's a lot of crazy teachings and a lot of theology out there that, that overstates the power of our words. But what we cannot let happen is if there is teaching out there that swung too far that way, if we're not careful, that we'll, and as a reaction, we'll swing too, back, too far the other way and underestimate the power of our words. It's one of the reasons why 1 Peter 3.10 is given to us. It's saying, hey, you're not going to be able to create like God created, but there, are, there is power in your words. And the words that you speak today are having an effect on the happiness and the enjoyment of your future. The words you speak today are creating a world in which you will one day live. How much enjoyment and happiness is waiting for you. Now, what I want to do tonight is I want to spend some time unpacking two principles that I believe that are in Scripture that make 1 Peter 3.10 true. Now, we know that it's true because God said it. God doesn't embellish. He, he, he doesn't exaggerate. If it's in there, it's truth for us. So we know that it's true, but, but, but that's a big statement that God would make. How can it be that the words that I'm speaking today are going to cause my future to have more or less days that are happy or more or less days of enjoyment. The first one is this, wherever you go, there you are, right? You've heard that said before, wherever you go, there you are. And I want to connect for a few minutes how this principle and this truth is a part of what makes 1 Peter 3.10 a reality for you and for me. All right, so I'm going to drop this verse in multiple times tonight because I just, I want you to be familiar with it. And I, I want it kind of in your, in your mind as you're leaving here. If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Watch your mouth. Watch your All right, so Proverbs 18, 20, verse 21. 20 to 21, I listened to Steve's podcast uh, last week. An amazing message launched for this series. And I want, to, I want to talk about this verse a little bit more. I, it says, with the fruit of a man's mouth or a woman's mouth, a person's mouth, with the fruit of a person's mouth, their stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, usually I work out of the New Living Translation, but you've heard me say before, if you're doing a serious study of the Bible, you've got to do multiple translations. The New American Standard Bible is one of the most literal renderings of the Bible, so I like to use that a lot when I'm doing some study. And so I like how the New American Standard renders this. And, and, and what, the, what the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, is saying here, inspired by God, is that, is that we will eat from the fruit of our lips. Is that when you and I speak, when you and I talk, the words that we say are a meal that we are preparing and consuming for ourselves. Not for your physical body, but for the immaterial part of who you are, for the part of you that makes you you, for the part of you that's going to live on forever. Whether you want to think of that as your soul, whether you want to think of that as your spirit, or whether you want to think of all of that working together, there's a part of us that's going to live forever. That part of us, that part of us, the Bible says you Feed that part of you with your words that we eat from the fruit of our lips. So the words that come out of our mouth, you can think of them as forming food on a plate that that part of you then in turn begins to eat. Verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, so oftentimes, as Steve talked about last week, right, that's the other side of this message, that death and life and other people in the power of your tongue, right? That way you can build people up or way you can tear people down. I think sometimes we forget it's true for us. That the words that I speak even about other people become food on a plate that then I in turn eat and it begins to affect who I am 
as a person. I love verse 21, how it kind of wraps up. It says, those who love it will eat its fruit. It is both a warning and a promise. It's saying that the volume of your words make a difference. You with me? So we should be encouraged to say, hey, I can fill up my future with happiness and enjoyment by filling up my life with words of life that I speak. We had a, a saying in our house when, when our kids were smaller that we said words of life, right? If we heard them uh, uh, making fun of each other, if we heard them saying things, if we heard them saying unkind things to each other, words of life, words of life, right? So when they're at some point in their future, when they're in a church and somebody asks the questions, what are some sayings that you heard in your home? I hope that's one of the ones that they would say. My, my mom and dad, words of life. Well, I'm sure they got tired of hearing it. Why was that important to us? Because we understood this principle. We understood that even at an early age, they were affecting the person that they were becoming by the words that they were speaking. I don't know how that worked into my slides. <laughs> Is that not awesome right there? All right, so I wasn't here last weekend because when my, my boys are turning 13, they go on a coming of, of manhood trip. And so I was in, in Florida and, uh, and we, were, we were hunting hogs from this big old swamp buggy. And, uh, and that's J.W., the hound right on there, right? And the guy who drove it was Bubba. And so when, when, when Bubba is driving and J.W. is howling, we, we, you know you're having a good day. And uh, I, I'm putting that up there because I, I'm, not, I'm not into hunting as much as I am into shooting. So I enjoy the kind of hunting where I get to shoot a lot. Right? So the idea of going out to a tree stand before sunup early in the morning and sitting in that tree stand for hours on end and then maybe having to go back home at some point later that day and not even have to clean my gun, that doesn't sound fun to me. But if there's a kind of hunting where I get to shoot a lot, then I enjoy that. And so the first kind of hunting that I ever did probably some 10 years ago was upland bird hunting with quail and pheasant because you get to walk, you don't have to be quiet, and there's a lot of shooting, especially if you miss a lot like me, you get to shoot a lot more. And, and, and so... And so, so I remember this one on this hunt years ago that I went on, that the dog flushed a bird. It was at a distance, and I assumed that it was a quail. It looked like a quail, is it the way that it flushed? And so I mounted my shotgun, shot it. The bird drops. The dog brings the, the bird back, and it turns out that it wasn't a quail. It was called a woodcock, and it had this really interesting long beak. And, and so when we were cleaning the birds, we, you, you do what you call breasting them because we were eating its delicious meat, the, the quail and the pheasant, the chucker, and I'd never had woodcock before, but we noticed that it was the meat was really just a dark, dark, dark brown. And so we took that. I got to take that one home because I had harvested that one. And so we're cooking all this meat on the grill uh, the next day. And, and so as we, as we eat this meat, we're thinking it tastes like beef, right? But it's, but it's, but it's a bird. And, and all the rest of the bird looks like raw chicken. But again, this one looks like it, it was dark like beef. And it tasted like beef. And we were, I'm tasting it. The kids are tasting it. Vanessa's tasting it. And, and so the next day, I was talking to a really close friend of mine who's an avid outdoorsman and a hunter. And, and I said, we ate this really delicious bird from our bird hunt. It was called a woodcock, and, but the meat was really dark, and it tastes like beef, and he started to laugh, and I thought, this isn't good, right? <laughs> and I said, I said, John, why are you laughing? He said, you know why that meat is dark? I said, no. He said, because they eat almost exclusively earthworms. That's all that they eat, and so that's really all that that meat is. It's just earthworms, right? And so I'm gagging on the phone, right? And so, right, so why am I telling you that story? Because we understand that. The food that we eat it shapes us, literally. The food that we eat affects our physical body. The food that goes into our body affects 
who we are. Certain kinds of fish have certain kinds of flavor because of what they feed and eat on. Certain kinds of beef taste better than other beef because of the way that they're fed. All throughout our natural world, God is trying to help us to understand a principle of physical well-being and health, absolutely, but he's using that also as a metaphor to help us understand our immaterial self. It's harder for us to understand it because we don't see that part of who we are. And so he has a natural world oftentimes to reflect the immaterial world so that we can get it. So the words that you speak is going back into you and shapes who you are. Now, what happens when we understand that Proverbs 18 is connected to Matthew 12? So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there with me. Matthew 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 33. Verse 33. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right, he's talking about the religious leaders of his day. He's saying if you're if, if bad people, that bad things are going to come out of them. You with me? It's kind of the opposite of Proverbs, isn't it? It says, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Let me say that again. For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. In the King James, it's out of the overflow of a person's heart, their mouth will speak. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. So now the metaphor shifts from agricultural to something that's more economic. Now he's talking about a treasury. If there's a good treasury, then good treasure is going to come out of it. And I tell you this, you must give an account on Judgment Day for every idle word you speak. That's another sermon for another time, right? That, that every idle word, mean every word that we speak that is hurtful to somebody else, we're going to have to give an account for it one day. The words you say will either acquit or condemn you. When we begin to understand that Matthew 12 is connected to Proverbs 18, there should be some type of an epiphany or revelation that we begin to have. If the words that I speak, if I eat from the fruit of our lips, which we just broke down at great lengths in Proverbs 18 is food that then in turn comes back to us, we can understand the power of Matthew 12, that out of the overflow of a person's heart, your mouth speaks. You see the cycle here? The words that I speak, it's a meal that I eat. And the meal that I eat shapes who I am. And then who I am affects the words that I say. So there's this cycle in our lives. And for some of you, maybe you've been frustrated for a long time. Or maybe other people have been frustrated with you for a long time. Why is it that there's just a stream of negativity that flows out of them? The reason is because you've given so much of your life to this conversation of negativity and being critical. And it has begun to shape who you are. And because it is shaped who you are, that's all that you can produce. Now, there is a work that only the Holy Spirit can do to change a heart. That's part of what Steve was preaching on last weekend. We believe in that. That's why we pray for people. That's why during so many times in our service, every, at, every, at the end of every service, there are people in the back there to pray with you. And then sometimes we highlight that. We embed it in the worship set because we know that there are supernatural encounters. I've experienced supernatural encounters in my life where, where God just kind of changes your heart in a moment and in an instant. But His work isn't the only work that needs to be done. 
Because see, if you understand the principle of Proverbs 18 and Matthew 12, you begin to realize that you have to begin to change who you are by the words that you speak. You have got to make a decision to prepare a different meal for yourself. And as you begin to prepare a different meal for yourself over time with the words that you speak, you're going to change who you are. And as you change who you are, different words are going to begin to come out of you. And if different words begin to come out of you, words that are life-giving, words that are hope-filled, words that are encouraging to others instead of always tearing them down, as those words become the characterization of your life, you begin to change your own heart. And you begin to say different things. Years ago in my, my early 20s, uh, soon after I had, had made a decision to become a devoted follower of Christ, I made a vow of devotion to Christ, what we like to call it here at City Life, I, I knew that I had not taken good care of myself for many years. And so one of the things that I needed to do was just go to the doctor and get a physical. I needed to get some blood work done to see if there's anything that I needed to know about myself and this life of debauchery that I had lived. And so I went on an extended fast leading up to that, just praying for God's grace and for his favor. And so they, they do blood work, you know, as part of the physical. And I had not really thought about the idea that I had been on this, this fast. And so I was just doing a juice fast and, and the juice that I had drank was mostly apple juice. And so when they did the blood work, the, 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 at, the, at the physical, the doctor says, hey, we'll call you next week and let you know if, we've, if we found anything. But I'll, I'll probably just call you any, either way because of why you're here. I just, I, I don't want you to worry. And so I get a call a few days later and, and my doctor, hey, the blood work came back and, and, and uh, there's, there's nothing for you to, to worry about. And then I noticed there was kind of a pause. And, and so I said, is there, is there something else? He said, you had an unusually high concentration of apples. Do you eat a lot of apples, Fred? Right? And I thought, oh, I probably should have told him I've been on this juice fast and I've just been doing a lot of juice. I'm just telling you these stories over and over and over again because when I tell you those types of things, you go, oh, of course, Fred. You're not telling me anything I don't already know. I get it. If you were to fast and just drink apple juice and get blood work, it, right, that's, that's going to be in your system. That, in fact, that's going to be the only thing in your system. We get it with our physical body, but with the part of us that matters even more. It's like we're walking around in this world just naive to how it works. And so God gives us his word to help us understand so we can walk in his wisdom. For some of us, we are victims of ourselves. Victims of ourselves. Because we've never taken the time to break down verses like this or to maybe be in church with some degree of consistency so that we can be around this kind of teaching. When we were worshiping tonight, I was thinking, you know what, I can't wait to get here every weekend to worship for lots of reasons, but you want to know one of the reasons? Because I'm preparing a meal for myself. I don't want Christianity to become this self-serving thing, but you know what, it's not because God put it in here. Are you with me? If, if, if he didn't want us to understand it, it wouldn't be in here. Worship is about the glory of God. It is about declaring him. It is about a focus on him. But it's not just about him. It's about us because he made it that way. He wants us to understand how this life works. And so he says, you better be at church as often as you can. Go to those men's getaways because there's going to be worship there. Be in environments where you have an opportunity to speak good things because you're preparing a meal for yourself that you need to eat. And for some of you, you need it even more because of the meals that you've been eating for your entire life. It's time to change our diet. 
the number of days in my future that are happy and enjoyable are directly related to me because I'm in my future. Wherever you go, there you are. How can 1 Peter 3.10 be true? That's how it can be true because of everything that we just talked about. Right? It's not some magical, this, this, this mystery that, that we're trying to understand. God's saying, hey, it's pretty simple. You shape yourself through the words that you speak because you eat those words and then those words produce something out of you that becomes a meal again and you're just in this cycle of shaping who you are. And so don't be surprised that when you get into your future, and maybe you've been around people like that, they've just been cantankerous and contentious and mean-spirited their whole life and it seems as though as they get older it just gets worse. Hello, surprise! This is why. You see, what we're talking about tonight, it's, it's for the rest of the world, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but it's also for you. God wants you to have a life that's filled with enjoyment and happiness. Hey, I get it. Life's not perfect. And there's lots of things that are going to happen that are out of our control. There are going to be days that are sad. There are going to be days that aren't pleasant. God says, hey, you, there's enough of that already waiting for you in your future. Let's not add to it. Add to your happiness and add to your enjoyment by having some self-control through the words that you let come out of your mouth. All right, let's do one more. You want to do one more? Certain seed for certain soil. So one, one of the reasons why 1 Peter 3.10 is true is because of the principle of wherever you go, there you are. And that's what Proverbs and Matthew, those two texts, teach us. Another one is certain seed for certain soul. So I want to drop this verse in again, 1 Peter 3.10. If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Watch your mouth. Now, 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 all of God's Word is inspired, but not every Bible was created equal. Can we just agree on that? So, so again, if you're doing some serious study, I would recommend that you, that you get a, what's called a study Bible. It's going to have more information that's in there. So like this is a, a New Living Translation Bible that I work out of, and if I were to s- turn to the psalm that we're getting ready to read, this detail is not given there. But one of the Bibles that I use for all of my serious study is it's called an open Bible, and it's the New American Standard, which I've already alluded to. And at the psalm that we're getting ready to look at, the heading of the psalm gives me this detail. The heading of the psalm says, a Shageon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. Now, that's an important detail because a Shageon is a very specific word in the Hebrew language. It means that the emotion that you're feeling in the moment is like a falling down drunken stupor. Ever been out with somebody? Said way too much to drink? You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe it was you. Right? And you're just in a, you're a fallen down drunken stupor, right? You're, you, you can hear it right now. They're 10 times louder than they need to be, right? Everything, crying one minute, they're laughing the next, right? They're asleep, they're awake, and you're like, I just want to take them home, right? You, you've, many, I shouldn't say all of you, many of you have been there, some of you have been that person. That's what this word means. It means that you are feeling emotion that is so intense that you really have little control over yourself. Now, if you've never been in a drunken stupor or been somebody with a drunken stupor, many of you have been in a moment like this. Or maybe you've been with somebody in a moment like this. Maybe something tragic happened to them. Maybe there was a betrayal in their marriage. If you've ever been with someone in the very moment when the news comes in, you understand a shigayon. 
It means that there is just a wailing that comes out of them. It's something that's beyond their ability to control. And that's what kind of psalm this is. I'm telling you that because if you're not careful, you will read this psalm, Psalm 7. I'm just going to read some of it right here. Do not read this psalm like the rest of psalms. Right? Some of the psalms are called psalm because it's like a song. Maybe there's a little bit of frustration. We're gonna, there's another kind of psalm we're going to get to in a minute. But if your Bible says it's a shigeon, right? If you were to read this out loud on your porch one morning in your morning devotions, the way that it was intended to be heard, your neighbors would call the police. I don't know what's going on over there, but something's happening. There's screaming and crying and hollering. I, I think someone's right. I come to you for protection, O Lord my God. Save me from my persecutors. Rescue me. If you don't, they will maul me like a lion, tearing, tearing me to pieces with no one to rescue me. And it goes on and on and on and on. It's a shigeon. David is in this moment in his life where his emotions are more than what he contained. And he's wailing and weeping and crying and screaming. It's a shigeon. Now that's in the Bible for a reason. Because God wants us to understand there are moments in this life, whether it's a tragedy, whether it's a betrayal or some other type of circumstance that you can think of, where our emotions, they just overwhelm us. It's important that we spend some time talking about this. I teach on this word and the next word probably at least three times a year because it's a forgotten part of the Bible. It's an important part, especially what we're talking about tonight, because of what we just said. If the words that you speak become a meal that you eat and begins to shape your heart, what do I do with moments like this? What do I do with moments like this? We do what David did. We take those words and we give them to our Father. And when you take those words and give them to your God, it's like seed that you're planting in the soil of his hand and not in the soil of your future. God understands the human condition more than we do. Even before Jesus came, he understood because of his infinite wisdom. But after Jesus came, it says in Hebrews that he was tempted in every way. They understand the human condition. And there are times where no amount of self-control, no amount of reliance on the power of God can keep those emotions in because they're not supposed to be kept in. If you, if you shove them down and pack them away, it's not good for you. If you shove them down and, 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 and pack them away, I'm telling you, it's, it's going to erupt even more in your future in a way that's not good. And if you go around just, especially if it's a betrayal with another person, and you're just, your mouth is just a spew of ugliness about that person, you might have a right to feel that way, but you don't want to sow that seed in your tomorrows because it's going to affect your future. You might be saying, well, I feel a lot better when I get that off my chest. Hey, I get it. I've been in moments like that myself. That's why God says you need to get it off your chest, but you need to get it off your chest with me. Sow that seed into my hand. Don't sow it into the soil of your future. The promise of 1 Peter 3.10 stands, sow that seed into the soil of the hand of your God. All right, let me give you another word. Imprecation. So we did Shigeon. Let's do imprecation. Psalm 109. 
So there are a lot of bright scholars that have been studying the Psalms for centuries, and they've, they've categorized all of them. They're broken down into different groups. And there is an entire group of Psalms that are called the Psalms of Imprecation, or prayers of imprecation. And an imprecation literally means a curse that is spoken, right? Now, now listen to this. This is my favorite imprecation, Psalm 109. Appoint a wicked man over him. And let an accuser stand at his right hand, and when he is judged, let him come forth guilty, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. You ever feel that way about somebody? Some of you are like, preach, pastor, preach. This is going to be your new, some, some of you are like, I've never memorized any of the Bible, but I'm memorizing this. This is good. Right? I've been in places like this before. You've been in places like this before. People, people do things to us. They treat us unfairly. They, they disrespect us. They, they just they, they take advantage of us sometimes. And there are feelings. They're going to come in your heart. They've come into my heart before, right? We're, we're human. God created us as human beings. We feel deeply. It's like a shigayon. A shigayon talks about the emotion that you have, imprecation has to do with the words that you speak. And when you put these two things together, God says to you and he says to me, you got to understand this stuff in light of the promise of 1 Peter 3.10. There is seed that you can sow into your future. And the future that is waiting for you has a lot to do with the words that you speak today. That's why he says to you and to me, watch your mouth. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about imprecations. The hatred is there, festering, gloating, undisguised. And also, we should be wicked if we in any way condone or prove it, or worse still, use it to justify similar passions in ourselves. These prayers of the psalmist are indeed devilish. Wow! C.S. Lewis is a pretty smart guy. Can we just agree on that? Now, why is... Why would he write that? Because that's exactly what they are. Because you and I, in our humanity, have a capacity to say terrible things about other people. And oftentimes, if someone had gone through what you went through in regards to that person, we would feel that way, if not worse. Right? C.S. Lewis isn't saying that it doesn't belong in the Bible. C.S. Lewis is saying this part of the Bible is not given to us as permission for how we should now live. He's saying it's given to us as permission and wisdom and instruction for what we do with those feelings when they're there because it's born of the, the devilish part, the human nature, the, the unregenerated part of who we are. And even if we live our lives a hundred years and do the pathways that we teach faith, faithfully all the days of our lives and we outrun Billy Graham in righteousness, come on. If the right person in the right circumstance in the right situation does something to you that's tragic, that kind of prayer wants to come out of your life. And it needs to be a prayer so that it doesn't become a conversation about that person. Because when you put those words out towards people, when you put them out about other people, it's like I should have brought my seed spreader. I've never been into doing anything. I, I despise lawn work. I curse Adam. It's all his fault. Read Genesis 
the first three chapters, right? And so I've got, a, I've got Vanessa said, we're, it's a, we, we moved into this house a year ago. She, it's a new day. We're, we're at least doing the front lawn, right? So I stopped at Grand Rental Station. I got to rent the aerator, and, and I've got this spreader that we, that we bought. I, sh- I should have brought it with me tonight because when, 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 when you take that psalm that we just read and just that's your conversation all the time, it's just like you're walking around with a cedar spreader, just throwing seed into your future, throwing it out there. God says, hey, 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 don't do that. First Peter 3.10, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. You're, you're creating a future that you're going to one day live in. And God wants that future to be happy. He wants it to be enjoyable. The promise of 1 Peter 3.10 stands, sow that seed into the soil of the hand of your God. Now, I'm not advocating pacifism, right? If you know me at all, you know that I'm not into that. But I think we have to exercise wisdom when and how we stand up for ourselves, right? You know the story. I'm not going to tell it again. When we lost our home to the toxic Chinese drywall, there was a five-year battle in the courts, and it was right for us to be there, not to be mean-spirited, but for justice to come. And I, I wrote a blog years ago when we were going through that, and I created a word called forgustus. And I, I, I share it with people often, times and situations. We have to learn how to forgive people, to not have ill will in our heart towards them, but we can still expect and want justice to be served and justice to be done. Forgiveness and justice are not mutually exclusive. For justice, there is a right way. Are, are we supposed to turn the other cheek? Yes, in certain situations, in certain circumstances, we're not supposed to get drawn into provocation, but there's nothing about Christianity that says that we're supposed to be the doormats of society. There's a right way and a right time to stand up for ourselves. Sometimes there should be legal courses of action. If we've done all the other things that Christ says that we should do through the wisdom of Scripture, sometimes there has to be these steps that we take for justice to be served. It's your attitude along the way that I'm talking about. It's your heart towards those people that I'm talking about. Right? It's, it's what you, what you when, when you think of that list of the prayer of imprecation, when, when that's your continual thought about that person, that's the part that has to change. And, and I think a lot of Christians, they get this mixed up. They say, because I must forgive, I have to abandon justice. And that's not true. All right. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. So, so let me ask you this question. Because we've been talking a lot about our, ourselves tonight. Let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about the world around us. So I'm going to shift gears on you a little bit. But I felt like God asked me this question this week, and so I'm going to share it with you. If God were to take all the words that you've ever spoken and will speak in all of your tomorrows and use them to create a person, what kind of person would they be? It's a weighty question, isn't it? I mean, every word that you've ever said, Every word that you've ever spoken, any word that you're ever going to speak, what if he took all of those words and he made a person out of them? What kind of person would be in this world through the words that you have used? What if we add to that maybe the words that we've not said but we've wanted to say? And so we just said them over and over and over and over and over again. What if we add all of that in? What kind of person would be in this world? Let me read you this verse out of John chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 14. So the word, speaking of Jesus, it's the Greek word logos, which means word. The word became human 
made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I like the rendering, he was full of grace and truth. We might get into this a little bit in a couple of weeks. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who was far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From the abundance that we have all received, one gracious blessing after another, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness, His grace and His truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen to this last verse. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, speaking of Jesus, who is is Himself God, is near to the Father's heart. And listen to this last part. He has revealed God to us. Every time you walk away from a conversation, your words are like a person that you leave there when you go home. When you leave for morning, for work, or wherever you're headed, that conversation you have with your spouse or with your kids, you might not be there physically anymore, but your words are a person that you've left behind. People that you run into as strangers in the store, in the, 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 the airport, when you're traveling. I'm telling you, your words are like a person that you've left behind in their life. It's powerful, isn't it? We think about this, this idea of what if God were to, to take all my words and, and make a person, what kind of person would that be? And we think, oh, that's an interesting thought, but I'm not sure how true it is. It couldn't be more true. Because you're creating a person with your words every time you talk to somebody. That's why we do this parenting class every year in the spring. Do you understand? All the words, the majority of the words a child hears in their formative years come from us. And when we're not there and they're left to their own thoughts, you have left a person in their life through the words that you speak. Some of you here tonight, You have some people wandering around in your life that don't belong there because of words that have been spoken to you. A former spouse, a Sunday school teacher, a coach, a neighbor, right? You've got people that are wandering around in your life, defining your identity in a way that should not be because the words that we speak are a person that we leave behind and the memory of those words they walk with us you and I we're just we're a traveling horde of people in our lives through all the conversations that we've had and I love here at the end of this text it says that that Jesus the word of God revealed to us the father wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if what characterized our conversations, the person that we left behind in every conversation that we ever had for the rest of our lives, the person that we left there through the words that we spoke somehow, some way revealed God to them. How about that as a standard that we could reach for and live by? Watch your mouth for you, for the world, for the people, even when we are gone and in heaven and there's a part of us that's left through the words that we've spoken. Let it be that those words will be words 
that have given life. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, I just I pray for the people that are here tonight and too much of their identity is wrapped up in the people that are in their life because of words that have been spoken to them, conversations that they've had. I pray that as we step into this moment of worship that something supernatural would happen to them, that the Word, Jesus Christ, would stand up strong in their life and just begin to evict the people that don't belong. Father, we know that you are not going to erase the memory of our past, but what you can do, oh God, supernaturally is to exercise authority over those people that have taken up residence in us that are defining our identity and say, get out. And so in Jesus' name, we just say to those people today, get out. Those words that have been misspoken and wrongly said that are like people wandering around in our lives, we just say, come on, your time is up. You can't live here anymore. And Father, may it be that your word, the word, would be the person that lives in us, always reminding and always telling us who we are. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.